Yo MTG Taps is sponsored by LegitMTG.com. Strategy, streams, and singles, LegitMTG has it all. Oh yeah, and now us. So check us out every Friday on LegitMTG.com and stop back every weekday for more great Magic the Gathering content and product. TG Taps. I'm Big Head Joe. And I'm Stephen Marshall. And we had an action-packed weekend this weekend. Uh, we had the Pro Tour for Dragons of Tarkir. Uh, we had uh, Standard States. And we also had Modern States. There's two different states at the same time. What's up with that? Uh, SCG had states, just like a states weekend. And on Saturday they held the Standard Tournaments and on Sunday, they had the modern tournaments. Oh, okay. So they were both SCG, and they just did states for standard, states for modern. Mm-hmm. So now you can be the standard state champion and the modern state champion for this particular season in this particular format. States already didn't mean that much before. When yeah. They, like, when they added a second states, and now there's, like, a TCG player states. State championship is kind of bunk at this point, isn't it? Listen, if it's already like a meaningless tournament, why not dilute it even more? Yeah, but it's so diluted. Like, I, I don't like that. I don't like that at all, actually. Um, I mean, we're going to talk about the Pro Tour first, but I just want to say, like, I dislike that. So now, like, so who is the state champion of Texas? There should be a me, yearly... Me, for all you know? No, I'm saying, there <laughs> should be a yearly... There should be one state's tournament... And it should be once a year. I get wanting to, like, you know, have a regional championships and then a state championships, like, every couple months just to keep people coming in and paying money and attending these tournaments. And I've got no problem with tournaments being available to play in. But the distinction is just meaningless, isn't it? I mean, it just feels meaningless considering that you've got like six state champions in any one year. It's like everybody gets a trophy, that whole problem. Like pick a I want a state champion. Or maybe do eight, do like do regionals standard and then modern, right? Hmm. Twice a year. And then do states, standard and modern twice a year. And then have uh those players play in a tournament. I mean, it, it's just a title. That's it's stupid. it's not going to mean anything until Wizards like actually supports it. But then you'd have eight. But then, but then what you can do is you could have the eight players from each state that won stand to one states and the regional championships. Mm-hmm. You have those eight players play for well. Regional championships aren't in all fifty states though, are they? Or maybe they are. Well, no. You could have know. the states feed into regionals. Regionals feed into nationals. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I just don't like it. It just doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. I get yeah. it. I mean, just do a quarterly tournament. No. You know, just just do a quarterly. This is a good tournament kind of thing. Go the know. other way. If you're a local game store, hold a state standard tournament every single F and M. 
I just say you're a state champion for the week of uh, April 15th. Right. <laughs> That's really good. Or just do it like the hardcore championship from uh, from the Attitude Era in wrestling. So that like the state champion has to defend his title at any moment. <laughs> So like you could just roll up on the state champion in like in like a grocery store and just be like shuffle up fool. Is that money in the bank or no? Well, money in the bank was you could take you you want you had a ladder match, the winner gets a briefcase that they can cash in at any point for a title match on the spot. But the hardcore championship was an actively defended championship 24/7. So you'd have like a guy like somebody would break into a guy's house. The referee and pin him for the title and stuff like that would happen. It was just hilarious. Um, and it was always false count anywhere. So you'd be like, you know, there'd be a guy who would win the hardcore championship and they go backstage and be doing an interview. Somebody would crack him over the head with a chair and pin him right there at the interview, win the title and then finish the interview stuff like that. I think that's assault. It was, I think it's beautiful. Um, so anyway, uh, speaking of assault, um, Martin Dang assaulted the, uh, the uh, Pro Tour Dragons of Tarkir field with red aggro. That was some aggro assault, if you will. So that's the winner, but that's not the biggest story to come out of the weekend. Um, we had, okay, so just a, we had two disqualifications over the weekend. We had uh, Steven Speck was disqualified for manipulation of game materials. Now this is brazen I'll, I'll give this guy credit for just how bold of a move this was um so basically uh the opponent <clears throat> steven speck was suspiciously handling his deck during the match and um the player called a judge and uh after investigation was discovered that speck had presented only 53 cards and had his opening hand set to the side that's amazing. <laughs> like I've heard, like, 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 you know, like the Hornet, the Hornet Queen under the life pad. That was like, whoa, you know. But seven cards, like, how many tournaments have you played in, Stephen? I don't know. A decent amount. Yeah, a lot. Enough to know that when you're shuffling your opponent's deck, if there's seven cards missing, you would absolutely know the moment they handed it to you, right? I feel like yes. I know, yes. I can tell when there's a card missing. Like, I can feel, I'm like, this feels like 59. This does not feel like 60. This does not feel right in my hand. Like, I literally know when it's not 60. Or, like, or if somebody hands me a deck and they run 61 main, mm-hmm. like, I'll, I'll pick it up and I'll go, your deck feels heavy. You, you run 60 or 61. Like, I'm serious. Like, I can tell. I'm that, like, I can, I'm just so ingrained in my mind what a 60-card deck feels like at this point. I feel like, like a lot of it is, like, it comes down to, like, their sleeves. <laughs> like, if it's, like, freshly sleeved, it'll, like, sit a little higher. Like, that's how I notice for some reason. Mm, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I think that this really does... Um, Confirms your that... worst suspicions and paranoias. Well, no, no, no. no, shut on, hold on, shut on. Okay. No, I think this really does justify uh, people pile shuffling their opponent's decks when they're presented to them, you know, because some people do that. It does take a little while, but some people pile shuffle the decks and like, man, like this seems like the best possible, uh, warning, you know, in terms of like, Hey, pile shuffle your opponent's decks. If you're playing and the stakes are high, you know, I don't know. It can't hurt, especially after sideboarding. I don't know necessarily game one, 
I don't think I'd really go through the trouble. But game two, yeah, pile shuffle it. I'm, I think I'm going to start doing that. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You should anyway. It's, really? It, it's just good to do. But anyway, so so that happened. Um, and then the other disqualification was Jeremy Dizani, a very vilified member of the community. Um, this fool uh, was apparently – he just I don't know what the story is here actually, but apparently he modified his story when um, – uh, when you're talking to the judges, can't lie to a judge. Um, so yeah, so I don't know what the deal is, but uh, the last time we heard about Jeremy Dizani was at another pro tour. I can't remember which, but he was getting uh, it was worlds or the world championships. World, yeah, world championships. He was getting uh, lists of what other players from a rival team were buying mm-hmm. from a certain dealer. So like yeah, I mean that's just that's not necessarily against the rules. It's just kind of shady. But this is just you know whatever. This is just straight up cheating. I wish I knew the exact story. But given his past, uh, it doesn't really surprise me to see his name on this list. Um, now there's a third player who wasn't disqualified from the tournament, but who got a game loss. Um, and this is the one that's getting the most talk out of everything, and that's Patrick Chapin. Uh, Patrick Chapin um, was on camera in round five, and um, they were in turns, and it was, you know, it was kind of, it was a very, I mean, the board state was kind of crazy. Uh, they were trying to pick up their pace, and <clears throat> he uh, activated his Ajani mentor of heroes uh looked at the top four i guess it is four i don't know and uh set the one card on top of his hand which was sitting on the on the table and then put the rest of the cards on the bottom without revealing the card first um you know player calls a judge right over and uh chapin winds up getting a game loss i don't think it even went that far like there's there's a judge right there because it's like a feature match. Well, right. Well, well, the, well he, the, the, I'm saying the player like pointed out what happened. Yeah, it's like don't you have to reveal? I think is what happened. Like yeah, as soon as he, like he put it on his, like put it like on top of his, his, the rest of his cards in his hand. Right, right. So and so the judge that was standing there awarded a game loss. Um, then there was an appeal, the head judge came over, and there was a very, very, very long discussion that was left on camera, um, including, uh, you know, uh, commentary from the commentary team, um, editorialized commentary, no less. And uh, I just don't know if I... I I don't like what happened. Um, after watching that video clip, uh, if you haven't seen it, make sure you check it out. Uh, Cedric Phillips from Star City actually had a really great article on it today, uh, talking about the situation and about why it's such a big problem for the game. Um, check out his article. That'll be in the show notes as well. Um, but also, uh, we got a statement because I asked Joey, I'm like, you know, obviously you've got something to say about this. Uh, do you want to, you know, make a statement and we can post it on the show or I can read it on the show? So Joey did me one better and Joey actually recorded his statement for us and uh, we're going to play it 
here in a second. Uh, and then also um, sometime, I guess, Friday afternoon, he's going to post a transcript of his statement on his blog, uh, affinityforislands.com. So, uh, you know, if you want to go and read it on his blog, I don't know if he's going to add anything to it or not, but he's just going to at least post it. Uh, check it out over there. Uh, but anyway, here's Joey's take on the situation. Hey everybody, this is Joey Pasco. I uh, just wanted to chime in on a hot topic um, from the Pro Tour. Like many of you guys, last Friday I was watching the Pro Tour during round six when Patrick Chapin was given a game loss for failure to reveal a Tassiger. And pretty much like everyone else on the internet, I have a few things to say about it. Luckily for me, I have a soapbox by proxy in the form of YoMTG Taps. So uh, here are my thoughts regarding the situation. Point number one, I don't agree that cameras shouldn't be available to judges as a resource. Currently, using the recorded footage to resolve a judge call is not allowed by rule. The thinking behind this is that since all matches aren't recorded, it would be unfair to feature or for feature matches to have a source of information that's not available for all players in all matches in the tournament. This is awful reasoning. In my opinion, you have the ability to correct a situation within reason, which I'll get to in a minute, uh, you absolutely do it. You use the resources available to make it right. I would admit a line has to be drawn somewhere. Uh, if something happens on camera and then several turns pass before it's noticed, going to the tape is probably excessive. But when caught immediately and or when it's the difference between a warning and a game loss, I absolutely feel that using recorded footage is within reason. If the rule were to change, this line would have to be defined but this should not prevent us from modifying the rule. Is this an advantage for those featured in camera matches? Maybe. Is it an advantage to know your opponent's deck ahead of time because he or she was featured on the coverage when you weren't? Probably. Feature matches are already treated differently than non-feature matches, and there are both advantages and disadvantages to the players who are shown on camera. It is impossible to treat them exactly the same because they are not the same. So the argument, we can't do the right thing for you because we won't be able to do it for everyone, is to me a flawed argument. Feature matches are already a different animal. Point number two, I don't agree with the upgrade to a game loss, but I would have agreed with a warning. If you go back and watch the footage, the location of the card chosen from a Johnny is clear at all times. Here's the relevant rules text. 2.5 gameplay error, game rule violation definition. This infraction covers the majority of game situations in which a player can make an error or fails to follow a game procedure correctly. An error that, a that an opponent can't verify the legality of should have its penalty upgraded. These errors involve misplaying hidden information such as the morphability or failing to reveal a card to prove that a choice made was legal. If the information needed to verify the legality was ever in a uniquely identifiable position, identifiable position such as on top of the library or as the only card in hand after the infraction was committed do not upgrade the penalty and reveal the information if possible the sequence uh, what happened on camera is as follows Chapin places his hand face down on the table Chapin puts a counter on Ajani and passes priority he points to his library in a gesture kind of asking whether or not the ability resolves his opponent clearly says, okay, passes priority back, uh, allowing the, the ability to resolve. So Chapin looks at the top four cards of his library. 
and we can see it on camera. It's Tassiger, Plains, Plains, Temple of Malady, in that order. Chapin chooses the only legal card, Tassiger, and places it face down on top of his hand, which is still where he left it on the table. He does not pick up his hand. The chosen card, the Tassiger, is touching the cards in his hand, but it is also at a clearly different angle from the rest of the cards in his hand. Chapin then places the remaining three cards from Ajani on the bottom of his library. At this point, it's quite apparent which card he chose with Ajani. It remains the top card on the pile, cocked at an angle to the rest of his hand. To me, this satisfies the condition of being uniquely identifiable. As Chapin moves to pick up his cards, his opponent says he needs to reveal. And Chapin simultaneously, as his opponent is saying that, lifts the cards from the table with the chosen cards still cocked at an angle. He doesn't actually move his hand, you know, he doesn't stuff them together. He, the cards are still in the same exact position. And Chapin says, yes, yeah, sorry, while clearly separating the chosen card, the cocked card, uh, from the rest and flipping it to reveal Tassiger. I agree that Chapin's play was a bit sloppy and deserving of a warning. I do not agree that it should have been upgraded to a game loss, because the chosen card, while admittedly touching the rest of his hand, was still clearly separated. Point number three, and this is the last point. Perception matters a lot, and many will perceive what happened as undeserved punishment. All that said, and this is what I believe is the worst thing about all this, no matter how correct, in quotes, correct, the ruling may have been by the rules, the perception of the situation, especially to newer players, is that it was extremely unjust. A player was punished, arguably, for placing a card on the table just an inch or two too far to the right. He didn't cheat. He wasn't being shady. He chose a legal card, and he placed it in a spot where it touched the rest of the cards in his hand. It's not clear whether or not Chapin would have remembered to reveal the Tassiger on his own, because his opponent pointed it out as Chapin was still finishing the resolution of Ajani's ability. No further game actions had been taken, so Chapin was not actually given the opportunity to forget to reveal. Therefore, you can't say Chapin was punished for failure to reveal. He was punished for having the chosen card touching the rest of the cards in his hand. This is the kind of thing that turns people off. It turns me off, and I'm someone who understands the reasoning behind it. Who knows what it looks like to players who don't grasp the logic behind the rules. There's a lot more to this, namely the treatment of the situation by the coverage, but I think Cedric Phillips over on Star City Games has handled that aspect of it quite well already, and I don't need to rehash it. I do suggest you read it, though, even if I disagree with some of his points. I don't know exactly what the solution is, because there's not an obvious solution, but what happened should absolutely not have happened. Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, awesome. So thanks for the uh, statement there, Joey. Um, you know, for me, it sucks. It sucks to be Patrick Chapin in this situation. Um, you know, because it was, it's one of those, it's one of those mistakes that, cause he didn't need to do it. This is, this is where it comes down to putting a card, having a card and I've always known this is that's that is a rule that I've always known as someone who's never been on the pro tour when a card touches your hand it is considered to be drawn especially in a more competitive event your hand is hot lava 
It is. It is. It really is. Hand touch. No, seriously, your hand is hot lava when you're scrying, when you're doing anything that doesn't involve drawing the card. It doesn't expressly say you may draw this card without revealing it to your opponent. Yes, your hand is lava. <laughs> so, so I know that. You know, watching the match, if if I had seen that live. I probably would have said oh, he didn't reveal it. Like a second, it touched his hand. Like, oh, come on, man, it didn't reveal. Like, I'd I just seen that immediately and been like, oh, you gotta reveal that. What are you doing? You know. Um, and you know that Patrick Chapin also knows that. Mm-hmm. You you know he knows that. You know. So what happens is everything's at stake. I mean, you got to think about the pressure in that situation on camera, undefeated pro tour, blah, blah, blah. It's just super high pressure. It's the most, one of the most high pressure situations you can be in as a magic player. Now he might not have been thinking about it. It was very distinguishable that the card on top of his hand was the card, you know, there was no manipulating done to his hand that would change the order that would make it, you know, so it wasn't revealed whatever um but the truth is the moment that card touches your hand that's drawing extra cards and drawing extra cards at that level is a game loss and as much as it sucks and as much as like i want to say you know oh it was unjust for for patrick to have that happen to him and it and, and you know in in like a karmic sense yes it was very unjust. <laughs> but you know that, like, the moment his opponent called him out on it, that he was probably like, I cannot believe I just did that. Because it didn't, it, it gained him no advantage. Yeah. You know, I don't think that he meant to do it. I sure don't think he was trying to cheat. Oh, it was just a mistake. Yeah, it really was. I mean, you can't, There's there was nothing to cheat. Like, there really was nothing he could have done to cheat in that situation. I understand the ruling. I'm okay with the ruling. Um, I'm okay with, with him attempting to, uh, to have it downgraded because the, because the, you know, as much as, because at that point you have to play to your outs. If there's one thing that Patrick Chapin has taught me (laughs) in like, in like reading his, his articles in like reading his book, you know, or his books rather, uh, you know, you have to play to your outs, his out at that point was to have his game loss downgraded to a warning. So he played to that out. He didn't get it, you know? Um, well, but and, it's... and I think, like, the spirit of the law is that if you have the tools available to, to like, to address it and, um, and like, figure out which card it is, like, I mean, I feel like the spirit of the, the, the law is that, like, or not the law, the rules, is that you're trying, you, you usually try to, like, work that out. But it is true that, like, you know, one, like that's, like, a kind of like a black line. Like once it touches your hand, like that's it's drawn. It is. I mean, we're we're talking instant replay in baseball here. Yeah, I mean, you know, like we're call, we're talking about instant replay on balls and strikes. You know, they've already implemented it here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but, his you, hand was like face down, like he hadn't he, his hand was not picked up, so like you could tell which card it was because like it was on top of the rest of his cards. But right now, now true, he did not reveal it until he moved to pick up his hand. Mm-hmm. So, so there was that, but even then, you could still clearly see the top card of his hand was the top card. You know, there was no, there was no 
maneuvering done in any way. And there was no benefit to maneuvering, you know? There wasn't. All he was going to do was pick up his hand, activate Ugin, and put that tasker in play anyway. Yeah. You know, that's all that was going to happen. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's a really unfortunate situation to be in, you know? The rules are the rules, and um, that judge did what they needed to do. Um, and do I think... Okay, so... Commentary team. F. A terrible, terrible, terrible. Coverage team. F. They did horrible in this. See, this train wreck. I was listening to this live, and like as soon as like I heard what was happening, like I, like I couldn't listen to it because they kept the audio on. Like you could hear, um, Chapin, like try to explain it. I was like, this is too awkward. I gotta, I gotta take out my earbuds because I was at work. Um. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I, so I don't, I don't know what they said. Well, anyway, um, you know, the commentators at one point said that like, you know, oh, this is like, you know, uh, Chapin's, you know, played in the nineties and they were able to get away with a lot more back then. So he's just, wait, no, they didn't. Did they really say that? Yeah. No, they really did. (laughs) Uh, yeah, no, they like straight hmm. up were like, you know. Oh, you know, like angle shooting, like basically just like they, they were just I don't know. It, it was just really, really unprofessional. That's not um, the association I would go for. <laughs> yeah, it was, just, <laughs> it weird. was just really bad. Um, so I, I just think they did a really poor job that that conversation should not have been had. Um, you know, Chapin had every right to argue his point. Did he go long? Sure. He went real long on that. And like at that point, he should have he should have extended the hand and picked up his cards once the ruling was final. You can't appeal past the head judge of the pro tour, you know, but like, but then the, the commentators were like, well, who's going to appeal to Richard Garfield? (laughs) Like, like, like laughing about it. And it's just like, man, you just had this guy lose a match on the pro tour due to like some careless mistake that served no purpose to benefit him. It's not like he was doing anything intentional. Um, and and if that person, if either one of them were in the same situation, they would have used every resource to try to get out of that situation to where they could complete the game that they were pretty much going to win, you know? Okay, um, well, I, I have a question. Yeah. So if you're in his opponent's shoes, yeah. what do you do? You do what you did. You do what he yeah, did. Yeah, you just keep your I, – I'd probably just keep my mouth shut and be like, yeah, didn't reveal. Yeah, do what he did. Just let the judge reveal. just go. Yeah. You know, if there's not a judge there, call for a judge, mm-hmm. you know, because it's I – mean, it is what it is. Like, I would have recognized it right away and called for a judge and um, and would have went for the full penalty. Because, again, his opponent was playing to his outs. Because that opponent was going to lose. Mm-hmm. There was no way that that fool was going to win that match. It just, just wasn't. I mean, look Be- at that board state. Best case scenario, tie. Yeah, best case. So, um, so the opponent had an out, which was Chapin screwed up and drew an extra card. Whatever you want to call it, Chapin drew an extra card. Gets a game loss. Completely understandable. Yeah, if, if that's me on the other side, judge drew an extra card. Period. Didn't reveal. Drew the extra card. You know, there's <laughs> nothing there, there's nothing to be done now. Like, and I get why the judge was firm in. No, we can't look at the tape. We can't look at the at the resources that we have available to us. Don't the rules specifically say you can't look at the tape? 
I think so. Like, I think it's because, like, they don't want it to... I don't, I don't know what the justification is. I think it's, like, they don't want it to, like, delay... I think it's, like, a time issue. Like, originally, like, that's the what... That's that's why they wrote the rules. It was, like, a time issue. They didn't want to, like... Every single time there's an argument, they'd be like, okay, well, let's look at the tape. Kind of like how... Sadly, sometimes the NBA devolves in the last uh, minute or two where they can check, like, every out-of-bounds play. Oh, yeah. And it takes, like, 30 seconds mm-hmm. when there's only 40 seconds left in the game. And this will happen, yeah. like, twice, and they have to go... And it just, like, bogs things down. Yeah, the last two minutes of an NBA game usually last about 30 minutes worth of time. <laughs> yeah, so I think uh, they wanted to avoid that, and so I think that's why the rule is made. Although people now, like, the discussion I've been reading is, like, well, it wouldn't be fair because it's, like, a... It would be in practice a separate like enforcement level for feature matches i guess is like so it wouldn't be fair in terms of like what's available right well that's the thing i agree with joey about a hundred percent is that um it's already different yeah you know, you're already calling these people over to have a feature match and i think that you know i think that the rule should be changed and this is and i don't think that like you know there needs to be a camera on every match or anything stupid like that but I think that, you know, if you're in a feature match, there should they should be allowed to use every resource available to them, you know, and almost like a challenge flag kind of thing. Like once, you know, what I mean, once in a match, there's something that's a mistake. It's obviously not a cheat because there was no benefit to doing it other than maybe he didn't want to win that tournament. You know, maybe he was like, you know what? Nah, I like this guy. I'm just going to give him the win. That's the only benefit to it is if he didn't want to admit that he was conceding his opponent <laughs> i mean there's like no you know like like there's there's nothing nothing that could been been gained from what he did so um so like maybe like each player gets to do that once in a match like i need a reviewer or because i mean there's spotters mm, right there i'm only okay with this if they have like if each person in the feature match area gets one red flag and they have to put it in their sock all awkwardly like bill belichick and when they want to like call in their one challenge, I have to like take it out and like throw it onto the the table. Well, throwing it onto the table could be problematic. Okay, fine. Throw it in the air. Throw it at the judge. Fine. Flare guns. Flare guns. There you go. They're allowed in soccer. Why? Let's just yeah. Let's go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I think that if there are resources available in a match that aren't available to the other matches. Regardless of if it's not fair to the other matches, who cares? They should be used. Like, when there's a situation like this where so much is at stake, like, yeah, it should be used. Like, rather than, like, having these players think that, like, may, like that maybe in the future they need to just try to be more sneaky <laughs> and get away with it. <laughs> like, <laughs> knowing that there's a resource available when you're in a feature match that can be utilized is great. I think it's I think it's a good thing, but anyway. I think I need to think about it more before I have a uh, solid opinion one way or the other. Sure, sure. So yeah, that's the story of the Pro Tour, unfortunately. Um, now the thing that disappointing to me, as far as these Pro Tour decks that we're looking at here, hmm. um, is that they're the Pro Tour is where we're supposed to get all excited about innovations and about technology that were not available to us prior, you know? I don't think we got that in this Pro Tour, like, hardly at all. Um, very little surprises, very little innovation, um, even with a new set coming out, 
you know? I feel like we're just kind of seeing a lot of the same stuff that we saw last week at SCG. Uh, and that's disappointing to me, you know? Um, we also had the state championships this weekend. We can go back to this in a second. But mm-hmm. we also had the state championships this weekend. And conversely, you know, there was innovations all over the place. Like, innovations that were so innovative, they were absolutely stupid. <laughs> but still managed to make the top eight, you know? And that's the kind of stuff that I love, you know? It's just like these decks that come out of nowhere and you know most of them probably won't have legs you know but some of them will you know we'll probably get one or two new decks out of the state's results but we're not getting many out of the pro tour results right do you agree with that or do you disagree yeah i i i i I do agree um for the most part most of these decks are just established archetypes with a few extra cards in them um uh, especially even when you look at the like the actual decks that scored the best in terms of like the standard portion, because that's the one thing you have to keep in mind when you're looking at the Pro Tour results, is right. that this is a two format tournament. Like right. you have to play six rounds limited, and like you know Brad Nelson went nine and one standard, and he did not top eight. So you don't see right. his you don't see his deck list when you look at the top eight deck list. Right now we definitely proved uh, or this top eight definitely proved that control isn't gone nope and that's probably why dang won <laughs> <laughs> right because he was the he was the mono red deck in a top eight full of control yep absolutely good for him yeah and even then yeah i do feel like i, I kind of feel you there with the uh not i guess lack of innovation because like when i was trying to build around Dramoka's command because originally when it was not Dramoka's, um Atarka's command. command. Like, you know, I went crazy. I thought it was like, you know, obviously the best of the cycle, which it turned out not to be. Um, and best card in the you set. You don't think so? Oh, it's Dramoka's command. In standard, it's Dramoka's command by a mile, I think. Uh, but when I tried to build with Atarka's command in standard, uh, it didn't really fit into anything. Like, I tried to fit into red green um, aggro. And then the only place it really fit was essentially a mono-red aggro deck splashing green for just that. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it was too obvious to actually tweet in terms of my my brew storm. <laughs> but yeah, that was one of the decks I had was uh, mono-red aggro splashing for just a Tarkus command. Yeah. Uh, because you have Dragon Fodder, uh, Hordling Outburst, and Goblin Rabble Master, and a whole bunch of really cheap creatures, and that's the perfect home for it. Because once you have, you know, two creatures out it's a just a two mana spell that deals five damage mm-hmm. and that's a pretty good rate <laughs> that's an unheard of rate um so yeah i do i do feel like yeah it's like especially it's like well if i thought of it that's not very innovative <laughs> <laughs> yeah give yourself more credit than that man. yeah uh and well i got to play the proxy version of this deck yeah and y'all test for states and Oh, I love it. I think it's a really good deck. It feels really good. He does have one Become Immense, which I really like. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Yup. That's uh, pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like this deck. I mean, I, that's the thing, is I like these decks, but where's the innovation? I don't know. It's really it's disappointing to me. There was like a red-green bees. Mm-hmm. What is that all about? So that was uh, played by Sam Black and a few other people, and he actually went eight and two sta- in standard with it, but he didn't make the top eight, um, which is why I spend more time looking at the the decks that got, I guess it's like twenty four to twenty seven points in the standard portion yeah. of the Pro Tour, 
Right. So, like, some of this was, like, around, like, last standard season, but the deck, like, just went nowhere. Um, but, so it's got... And you would think it would be very weak to control, because it has three main deck roast, three main deck Satessin tactics, and four main deck Hornet Nest. Thank you very much, by the way. That's exactly <laughs> what I was talking about last week on the show, and you're like, why would you run main deck Hornet Nest? Here's an entire deck built around okay, it. Okay, well, here's how you get a, this is how you get away with it, because yes, that is a very good card. Versus mono red and versus green white devotion because they just don't have a way to deal with it. The hornet nest, mm-hmm. but that's a completely dead card versus control. So and so ironically are Satessin tactics and roast, but you combine them and now you have something relevant versus control somehow because you can just Satessin tactics either your hornet's nest or something else that's like some other creature that you have. And now you can fight your own hornet's nest mm-hmm. and get a whole bunch. You can ro- the, so the, the main play is you can even versus control. You can just roast your hornet nest, right? And get five green insect creature tokens. Mm-hmm. Now, now the thing is, uh, like what I was t- the only problem with what I was talking about with hornet nest was in a deck that doesn't want Satessin Tactics main deck, mm-hmm. um, or I was talking about Satessin Tactics versus Dromoka's command. And how Satessin Tactics is a poor main deck card, and Dromoka's Command is a great main deck card. That's what I was. That's what we were talking about last week. Yeah. Um, the problem with Dromoka's Command is that Dromoka's Command specifies creature you don't control mm-hmm. in terms of what you get to fight. Yeah. You know, whereas Satessin Tactics, and that's the beauty of Satessin Tactics, is that you know that's what I was doing with. That's what I did with uh, Satessin Tactics, Hornet Nest, Pelucranos out of the sideboard all day. Like, um, would be Hornet Nest and Pelucranos out on the battlefield, and then Satessin Tactics targeting my Pelucranos and my Hornet Nest. So then I can fight my Pelucranos with my Hornet Nest, get six tokens, and that's assuming it's not monstrous. Oh, and then use the Pelucranos to fight something on their side of the board if I have to, or just swing in. Lots of fun to be done with those two cards, or those three cards in conjunction. Also, the deck runs four Court of Calling, which is, obviously, I'm going to like that. Yeah, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and uh, the the really sweet one is uh, two main deck Chandras, so you can just ping your own Hornet's Nest turn after turn. Hmm, that's pretty cool. It's interesting. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not, I like it. I like this, but this is like, what, one deck? Yeah. The entire weekend that like seem that feels new, and it doesn't even feel super new. It just runs two sideboard cards main deck. True. You know what I mean? Like it's just kind of pre-boarded against certain matchups. Yeah. And that's and that's all it really does. That's different from anything else that's going on. And uh, I mean that's that's cool, but it's not super exciting. No. You know. Um, now there's one deck people were getting excited for on day one. That uh-huh. kind of just didn't really go anywhere, which was the uh, Chromanticore. <laughs> what was the other card? Soul Flare. Soul Flare, Chromanta Flare deck. Yeah, as uh, Zvi Moshowitz was running that deck. Yeah, I mean that was that was innovative, but it, it it didn't really put up any results, unfortunately. Yeah. Now there was one deck I really liked uh, in the top deck list, and it was the Bram Snapfingers. I guess this is his name. 
and it's mono green aggro with four Avatar of the Resolute, uh, four Sorak Huntcaller, four Reverent Hunter, uh, and a couple of Aspect of Hydra. Only two. He was named after that prong song, by the way. <laughs> and <laughs> Splashing White for Dromoka's Command and Fleece Mainline, essentially. And two Valorant stands. I wonder if anyone no would one. reference. No one. <laughs> Good. Why? Well, I just Let ignored it. it. Just leave it. I, I was trying to leave you enough silence so that you could like go back in later and just cut it out, like edit nope. it out. Leaving it. it stays. It stays. We'll, we'll, I want the one person who gets that reference to, to, to tweet at me or holler at me. We'll, we'll fix it in post. Um, and then it's also running for Collected Company, which I, I wasn't a fan of in Standard, but I guess it did well enough. Collected Company. Yeah, four of them. Why is anyone trying to play Collected Company? I'll have to try it. I'm going to try this. It's not a good card. It can't be a good card. So that's like the one story that if you look at like the top performing standard deck lists, you won't get from the top eight is that uh, you will get that blue-black control was a a very good deck for the tournament. But Mm -hmm. Abzan Aggro performed very well. I think that's the most common deck in terms of the, the top scoring one. Um, is, yeah, Abzan Aggro. With uh, Sorok as the new card, Dromoka's Command, and Ultimate Price. But that's essentially it, in terms of, like, new decks. Yeah. Disappointing. Uh, just one last thing for the Pro Tour. Um, we had a list last week of Mythics that, and we, you know, tried to call it whether or not they would make the top eight of the, um, of the Pro Tour. So, um, Let's just run down these real quick and uh, see if we were right. So, um, Death Mist Raptor, we both said yes, and the result was actually no. Um, Narset Transcendent, um, we both said no and no. It did not make the uh, the top eight. So, that's a point for both of us. Mm-hmm. And um, let's see. So, then next was Ojutai's Exemplars. We both said no, and that would be correct. It was no. Uh, Shore Crasher Elemental, we both said no, and that would be no. Uh, Dragon Whisperer, Steven said yes. Oh, God. And I said no, and that was a no. Dragon Lord Dramoka, Steven said no, and I said yes, and the answer was no. Um, Dragon Lord Ojutai, uh, we both said yes, and... The answer was yes on that one. Uh, for Dragon Lord Silumgar, we both said no, and the answer was actually yes. Uh, for Dragon Lord Colagon, Steven said <laughs> yes, and I said no, and the answer was no. Uh, Dragon Lord Atarka, we both said no, and the answer was yes. We did. We totally undervalued that dragon. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we saw. You know, we just didn't think that the green-red dragons or green-red devotion would translate to the Pro Tour, but apparently we were wrong. I mean, there are uh, even people playing Abzan midrange, splashing red just for Atarka. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Sarkin Unbroken, uh, we both or you said yeah. I wanted to say we both said no. <laughs> uh, but you said yes, and I said no, and the answer was no. Um, and then lastly, we uh, had a ration foremost, which maybe Steven threw in there as a potential tiebreaker. Um, but he said yes, and I said no, and the answer was no. Uh, so, uh, 
final results would be I have eight points because apparently we were keeping score here, and uh, Stephen has five points. So I win. I won. Hooray. Um, I think it was because I said there's going to be a Sarkin Unbroken Dragon combo deck. And I really feel like that tanked my score. I still would have won. That's true. It would still be six to seven or seven to eight. Yeah. I won no matter what. <laughs> if you would have taken that Arashian Foremost out of the equation and then, uh, and then, yeah, went the way logic would suggest with Sarkin and Dragonlord Colagon, uh, um, then we would have actually been tied. But you insisted on the Arashian Foremost, mm-hmm. and you insisted on the uh, Sarkin Colagon uh, Dragon deck. <laughs> so I win. Me, winner, me. But anyway, I guess we should move on to tournament we're more excited about because I, I don't it really disappoints me that i'm not that excited about the pro tour but anyway i i i i, I like the results that we're seeing from states and i want to talk about it so you actually played in states i did not i did something called working um but tell me about your states experience so you went with green white warriors right i did i took it for a test run at fnm uh the night before and I actually went three and one, and it was it was decent. I got, but I you know I played against uh, blue white or not blue white green white devotion and just got completely smashed. I tried to go home and fix it, and <laughs> I made it even worse. I, I was testing a Naya Warriors deck with mm. <laughs> Goblin Rabble Master and a Tarkus yeah, Command. Would. You would. I was like, well, <laughs> it's not janky enough. It needs more jank. Um, and that actually went pretty well. I, I, I have that set to the side for now. Um, I liked it. But, you, but did you go back to green-white for the tournament, or did you actually play this night? No, I went back to green-white. I decided okay, to actually good. fix what was wrong with my uh, FNM deck and kind of like get the numbers a little bit better. Um, I, I think I've tweeted or posted about it already. So, I mean, the main attraction is that it runs for Dromoka's Command, um, for Arashian Foremost, and then all green and white warriors to get that bonus, uh, including the main attraction, Sorak the Huntcaller, and the main, the other main attraction, if you don't have Sorak the Huntcaller to get Double Strike, uh, become immense, because, you know, Double Strike plus a six power buff to your creature is pretty good. Uh, and I also ran uh, Warden of the First Tree, which becomes a warrior after the first level. And so that's, that's basically the deck. After playing it, I'd have to say it's a little bit underpowered. Uh, I guess I'll just go through like what happened. I started off 5-1 and one and lost my winning end to the deck that this felt like an underpowered version of, which is Abzan Aggro. I, I, I had a lot of fun because it's a brew, and I have a lot more fun, and I actually probably play a lot better with brews because... Well, I don't know the reason for that. <laughs> I, I think I just... Because I take more pride in the deck, maybe... Um, but the deck played out a little more aggro-y than your standard abs and aggro deck, just because the individual cards are definitely not as powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have anything like Fleece Main Lion, and it's slightly more uh, explosive because you have Become Immense, and people are not playing around that currently. So you, sure. you can get them at least once, and only once. <laughs> uh, because... 
Yeah, I mean, like, if you just have your standard aggro draw with, like, you know, Dragon Hunter into um, uh, Air of the Wilds into Arash and Foremost, I mean, you'll have someone down to, like, eight, eight life, no problem, but you'll have, like, two two-power attackers, and they'll have a course of their crew fix out and feel pretty safe, and then you just swing in and give, them, give one of them plus six, plus six, and just end the game. And that was the main advantage of the deck, was that people were not playing around become events. Um, I, I, that card probably won me more matches than any other card in the deck. Hmm. And the thing is, is that once you get them, you side it out, <laughs> especially on the draw. <laughs> and then on the play, you leave like one in, um, you just, you just side it out and they'll, it'll, they'll change their behavior in terms. They'll play a lot more conservatively, which is great versus an acro deck that you're playing. Um, but you got you have to side out like that's that, that was that, that, that's what the deck's main strength is, uh, I would say it's just the element of surprise with become immense, um, and Dramokas uh, Dramokas command was like another card that like just completely overperformed, um, it's I would say on average it was a, it was it was a one and a half for one at least, um, it did really well. Uh, the the one thing I want to say about states was that like. <laughs> It, there were a lot of brews. I feel like the States tournaments have become a little bit of a free-for-all because I like that they're on the same weekend as the Pro Tour. So n- there's not like a solved deck yet. Right. Like no one gets to play with like the, like the actual, like, you know, correct lists. Because um, I'm like, I took notes every round. And let's see, in round two, I played against a Teamer deck with Glade Watcher in it, which is the one in a green 3-3 Defender. That has formidable, pay a green and it can attack as if it didn't have defender. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was the, that was actually the match where all their only removal was burn. So I just had a warden of the first tree out that you know had gotten to his ultimate form, oh plus a citadel siege. What? So they had like a commanding board presence, but it didn't matter because I had like a sixteen sixteen life linker trample. <laughs> Wow. Uh, Warden of the First Tree is good. Not so much on Citadel Siege. That was more a testament to Warden of the First Tree. That you could kind of get that kind of advantage from a one drop. Um, Citadel Siege is first on the chopping block for cards to uh, to change. I would say so. I hate that card. I think it's so bad. I can't believe you played it. I don't... I, okay, I don't think it's that bad. Um, I can't believe you played it. I, the only way I could justify it in my mind, is if you were playing, like, green-white constellation or something. Uh, you know, you might just want something to help your dragon hunters punch through, or it's amazing with the ration foremost. And Perhaps. it's pretty good with Warden the First Tree once you've got the trample going. Most of the time, though, I just drew it when I was losing anyway, and <laughs> I put it on the dragon's mode, and it let me live an extra turn before I died. So, pro- okay, it, it probably should be cut. I was running two of them main deck. Mm. Yeah. Uh, no. I, I. How many How many five drops could you have run in the deck that would have actually done something? Like maybe Whisperwood Elemental? It's not a warrior. Doesn't matter. I know. I, I, Either a Citadel Siege. The deck was over-focusing on... I just wanted to take it to an extreme. You wanted to see how far you could push the warrior theme, yeah. Basically, this is a deck for like your, you know, gauntlet like testing in terms of like, okay, I want to take a, an aggro deck or a mono red deck and take it to the extreme and see how far I can push it. 
And so that was basically what I did with the Green White Warriors theme, except then I j- just played it. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't run any five drops, but yeah, I had four Sorok Hunt Callers and two Citadel Sieges, and that was probably wrong. Um, there's actually a card from the Pro Tour that slots right into the deck, and that's Den Protector. Mm-hmm. It's a warrior. Yeah. Oh, it was a warrior. <laughs> that's so much better because... You know, on turn two, it's just a two-drop. On turn three, you can morph it and then, you know, be able to keep up its uh, activation cost next turn. And beyond that, it's a (laughs) five-drop. That gets you back the one card you need, like a Become Immense. There are several times where if I just top-decked a Become Immense, I would win the game on the spot. Um, Which is essentially what Din Protector does. And the other great thing is that uh, the clause that usually doesn't matter, the creatures with power less than Din Protector's power can't block it. I mean, that's perfect with Become Immense. And it's perfect with the Ration Foremost. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, you can swing in Double Strike, unblockable, and, essentially, for like... Then, and then Become Immense. Yeah. I mean, or even just flip it up, and if you Dramoka's Command it, and get it up to four power, I mean, that's... I mean, only Siege Rhino really can block it at that point. And it definitely helps versus, you know, the times where your opponent drops like an Elspeth. They just have a whole bunch of tokens out. And you just can't get through. Hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah, Citadel Siege probably has to go. Uh, but yeah, back to the the uh, the bruise that, that, I, that I witnessed. Um, let's see. Round six, I beat a Rally the Ancestors deck. What in God's name is that? Oh, that's the card that... Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mill. And... Yeah, and then you bring back all your siege rhinos and Mogus's Marauder. Oh, they went there. They did. It's beautiful. Yeah. That's exactly what we were talking about. They were four and one <laughs> at the time. And during that match next to me, I saw someone beating down with Sylvan Carry Adids thanks to assault formation. Ha ha ha. And this is like a 156-person tournament, <laughs> which is yeah. kind of crazy. And you're at the X1 table. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I do like that part of... I remember reading an article after States from last year where I um, top-baited with Burn. Mm-hmm. And like I think it was like Brad Nelson. He was specifically extolling the virtues of the States tournaments about how you know it was great to see all these innovation and, and for shame your, your black heart if you brought a Burn deck to that kind of a tournament. <laughs> and uh yeah so i decided i would i would, I would bring a brew to this one and i think a bunch of other people did and it was a blast that's really cool i mean like regardless of what i said about like the state's distinction being useless and meaningless at this point um the fact that these tournaments have kind of become a place for innovation to occur is really cool uh and i like that and i like the fact that it's kind of happened organically right i mean there's no no one actually going everybody innovate you know like people are just using these tournaments as an opportunity you know it's a big event mm-hmm. but it's not very high stakes nope so people are just loosening up and having a little fun with it and i think that's really cool it's also what formats look like when there aren't pros involved i would say True. because in a way if you like go through the deck list for let's say because this is a new standard format, so you're going to see some like just brews because there just aren't any lists otherwise. 
Um, it's still like, you know, it's only like week three of the format. But there was another States on Sunday for Modern, which is not a new format. But there are still, you know, just a ton of brews. And I think that's what the format looks like when you don't have pros and a pro tour and the best players on earth doing their best to crack the format. And I kind of like it that way. <laughs> so I think I think uh, Patrick Chapin on his uh, next level – is it next level podcast? Top level? Top level, Top level magic podcast. I'm, I think he made this argument where – you know, it's kind of like legacy is now where you can kind of just play what you want and there's no one, you know, there's not just a group of people spending weeks at a time trying to just find the best deck in the format and kind of just, you know, ruining it for the brewers and people that like to play a bunch of random decks. And that's kind of what modern is if left to its own devices, but it's not going to be like that if there's a pro tour every single year in modern. So, you know, this is a, I think this is a, persuasive counterpoint to that to the people that are like oh i want to see a modern pro tour yeah but yeah to uh conclude the story i lost my win in for top eight at states uh versus abzan aggro um i think i probably misplayed pretty poorly in game two um could have lived a few more turns otherwise but uh it wasn't close abzan aggro is a much more powerful deck (laughs) um like every siege rhino is good. Yeah, siege rhino is a great card. Uh, Fleece main lion is a great card. Uh, Dragon hunter, heir of the wilds. These are not great cards. Like to win with a brew, you kind of have to first. You have to play very well, or get exceptionally lucky, or get very good matchups all day. Um, or I think that's all the variables. And I got I, I got most of those <laughs> for most of the day, to be honest. Word. And and I had the element of surprise with with become immense. Pretty cool, but still, I mean, eleventh place, right? For uh, for uh, you know, playing a brew, mm-hmm. not too shabby. No, it's in a field of like 150 people. Yeah, it's not bad. I ended, yeah, I ended up six and two. So yeah. So came close, one game away from top eight. Yeah, not too bad. And uh, I'll I'll post an updated or tweet out an updated uh, list because I definitely want to incorporate Din Protector in there. That seems like just perfect. Yeah, it's even more perfect than than you thought, and I think that like. Den Protector is just a great card, period. I mean, who would have thought that Eternal Witness would be good? Not me, probably. I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't remember what I said about this card originally. There were some decks in, uh, from states that were really, really cool. And uh, just going to kind of uh, briefly touch on these. Yeah, it's so cool. So I'm not going to spend too much time on these because there's a ton of decks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but it's really awesome just to see all the innovations across all the states' uh, results. And also, unfortunately, I don't have um, <laughs> whenever for whatever reason these links don't tell you which states they're from. So I don't have the time to go digging that up. So these are from states. Mm-hmm. Not even going to talk about. It. I will say the deck designer just to give them credit. So anyway, um, we've got a blue white control list that actually won its respective state uh, by Jared K- Cable. Cable. Um, okay, maybe I'm not going to say their names. Um, no, I will. I'll be fair. Blue White Control, Jared Cable, um, running two Arashian Cleric main deck and two Arashian Cleric sideboard. Um, just 
crazy choice and uh, what you said was interesting and might actually make sense is that maybe it's in there. I mean, first of all, gaining three life and dropping down a 1-3 against a bunch of aggro decks. Yeah, I don't think it was the worst call in the world. Um, it's also a 20-turn it clock. <laughs> True. Uh, but it also does allow you to use the uh, mode on a Jutai's command and get it back for even more value after you've, you know, blocked and you know, hopefully killed one of their creatures, or if not, just absorbed some damage. Uh, being able to gain even more life and hold off until you can do your business uh, doesn't seem too bad. Um, God, I'm, I'm kind of surprised by this list because it doesn't run... Um, what's the card? I really thought that the blue-white control decks would be running Perilous Vault. But I guess not. Um, or Narset. <laughs> Or Narset, which just doesn't have either. Or more than two end hostilities. Yeah, two end hostilities? This is a really strange well, deck, but it won. One um, Whelming Wave, though. Yeah, Whelming Wave. <laughs> I love it. I actually love it. All right. Whelming Wave. There you go. So. Hey, that bounces a ration, Cleric. It does. What do you know? Very interesting, I guess. But uh, but cool. So anyway, a blue-white control deck won one of the state's tournaments. Uh, we've got a shaman, sh shamanic, shamanic Devotion by Brian Long, which was the runner-up at a state's event, um, running uh, Shamanic Revelation and a bunch of green creatures. That's interesting. Um, Bant Midrange. Austin Parker, runner-up, respect due. My cat thinks so, too. Um, this deck runs a Sunscorch Regent in the main deck. Hmm. And one in the sideboard, as if one wasn't one too many. And a Spirit of the Labyrinth in the sideboard, as well. Very strange choices, indeed. Oh, you can't ultimate um, your Ugin. Four main deck Valorous Stance. Valorous Stance is really good. It is, but running the full set. Very interesting. Um, Jund Midrange, played by Daniel Hansen, fourth place at States. Running a Dragonlord Colagon. See, if we'd have been running this <laughs> against the States results, you'd have done it's much looking better. Looking good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one Dragonlord Colagon, um, one single copy of Thoughtseize, which is just weird. <laughs> um, Dragonlord Atarka, Doomwake Giant, Stormbreath Dragon, it's just kind of, Tassiger, it's just kind of everything. It's like, I have all cards that are good um, in the deck and Colagon's command as well. Uh, Guy Dragons by Dustin Shepard, who does not spell his name with capital letters. Much respect there. Um... I just like this deck because it's all flyers. Four... Yeah, it's all flyers. Four Stratus Dancer main decks. So there you go. I said it would see standard play. Four Vaporkin. This is just wild. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, four Mantis Rider, four Flamewake Phoenix literally all flyers in the deck. I mean, that's that's a problem. I would not do well against this deck with my uh, Devotion deck. Nope. Not at all. Um, 
Four Color Dragons by Derek Dupross, finishing in eighth. Um, <laughs> Siege Rhino, Stormbreath Dragon, Thunderbreak Reach, and Cursor. A Tarka's Command, Crackling Doom, Draconic Roar, Murderous Cut, Anger of the Gods. Hmm. So you're basically running all... Well, your, your Sylvan Caryatids would die, but you're basically running all business creatures that would survive in Anger of the Gods. Yeah, I don't know if this is the best home for a Tarka's Command. Probably not, but I don't know. I mean, they're all good cards. <laughs> it's interesting. Four-color dragons with only two kinds of dragons seems kind of like a weird naming. Uh, finally, though, second place it states, uh, Blue-White Control by Dan Paulson. His name was Daniel Paulson. Um, running uh, three Elspeth Sons Champion and four Narset main deck. There you go. There's your four Narsets. 26 lands. Anything interesting in the side? No, nothing interesting in the main deck except for a bunch, a bunch of counterspells. Nine main deck counterspells. Three end hostilities. I don't understand this lack of a full playset of board wipes in these control decks. I'll never understand that. Myth realized in the sideboard. Hmm. There you go. Very interesting. You see the mono blue control deck? Uh, I did. Um, oh, I, I Atarka red. I did not include that because it was new. I only included that in the list because it has a name now. Yep. It's apparently called Atarka Red. Uh, mono Blue Devotion. Oh, is there Mono Blue Control? Control. There we go. Mono Blue Control. Um, there's the Perilous Vaults. Yeah, four of them. Uh, a Voyage's End in the main deck. That's not the weirdest part, though. Four in Case in Ice main deck. Mm-hmm. I think it makes sense. It's not great, <laughs> but it makes sense. Um, you know, worst case scenario, if you're playing against blue-black control, you got a lot of ways to get it to the bottom of your deck. <laughs> you know? I mean, you do. It's true. Um, not the best choice, but yeah, you got a lot of ways to ditch it if you have to. This is strange. Mono blue control. I mean, I dig it. I appreciate it. Dragon's Eye Savants. Sideboard. Why not? Times three. Might as well. <laughs> they literally ran out of blue cards. I mean, I don't know, know how you could even do this. We had a mono blue devotion deck. Somebody. Silumgar Sorcerer. I like that a lot. Huh. I think that card's right. good. I don't. All I don't right. think. I don't think Mono Blue Devotion's a thing at all. But if it is, it would run that. Keep trying. <laughs> uh, Chromanta Flare by Tyrus Lloyd. Um, this is the deck that made it to the Pro Tour. Um, apparently, somebody got an eye on the deck <laughs> during coverage on Friday. <laughs> it was like, "Yep, I'm gonna play that," and built it. And they didn't have lists, so I guess they built what they thought it would be. Um, so that showed up. Uh, Grixis Dragons. Now this is just mono dragons. I like this. Icefall Regent, Stormbreath Dragon, Thunderbreak Regent, Dragonlord Silumgar, and Silumgar the Drifting Death. All main deck. There's all the creatures. Eleven creatures, all dragons. That's what you call a dragon's deck. And Crux of Fate. There you go. There you go. Crux of Fate in a mono dragon's deck. I love it. Foul Tongue Invocation in the sideboard. Of course. 
Target placement for this creature. Oh, okay. I had someone, uh, round two, I played against blue-black control. Yeah. And in game two, they cast three Foul-Tongue Invocations for full value against me. Good God. Yeah, and two um, Drown in Sorrow. Huh. Wow. That's brutal. Still one. Nice. <laughs> wow. Um, Blue-White Control. Now, this looks like the Blue-White Control decks that I've been thinking would show up. Um, Bill Kaspar. Uh... Dragonlord Ojutai and Icefall Regent as your creatures. Narsets and an Elspeth. Two Narsets and an Elspeth. Myth Realized and Hostilities. Um, secure the Waste. I mean, this is this is fun. Four main deck negate. Everybody pushing these four ofs to the max. Crazy, crazy four ofs. That would make this deck have 12 main deck counterspells. That's the most main deck counterspells I think we've seen. Um, and then finally, the deck I'm sure you're most happy about, Mono Black Humans, which won its respective states tournament by Brett Crodel, uh, Crodel, uh, whatever, um, <laughs> running all the good things, all the things that you love. Sure. This is awesome. This is really it's good. Warriors. This is, yeah, it's but it's humans, though, because it's not all warriors. Yeah, it's got four uh, Mogus's Marauder, four Painseer, and I think that's the only non-warrior creatures in the deck, because then it runs True. Uh, two Obelisk Avert, but they're all humans, so you can just name human. Yep. Uh, but it runs two Bloodshin Fanatic and four Bloodshin Rager to make your uh, warriors harder to block. This is really cool. I mean, this looks just like the old mono black. That was more like a mono black. Uh, it was mono black humans. Bestow. Yeah. Or I'm saying like the mono black aggro deck that I was playing mm. last season. It was more of like a bestow kind of theme. But yeah, so I mean, lots of really cool decks showing up in states. And uh, just awesome to see innovations. Uh, now, uh, you were talking about uh, some stuff from the modern states, which I honestly didn't even realize was this weekend. Yep. So I didn't even look at anything with that. Um, so tell me, talk to me about a couple decks. You said there were a couple decks that got you excited. Sure, there was a, a green black, kind of similar to a lot of the rock decks that have been out there, but running uh, Glissa, the traitor, four of. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> With um, oh, gosh, what is it? It's got um, Batter Skull, engineered explosives, which just seems sweet to rebuy, and a couple executioners capsules. And that's really it in terms of, like, the, the things it can get back. But still pretty cool. <laughs> there's a bunch of Grixis Delver decks, actually, with Tassiger. Like, there's just several of them. And I don't know if that's just what the archetype is now, but I, I like that addition a lot because it's an aggressive creature because you're casting a bunch of instants that cost one mana or less. And you can easily uh, delve them out on turn, like, three. Uh, there's a burn deck that you're going to love. It's, Why am I going to love it? It's this? got three Thunderous Wrath in it. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's what we were talking about. But Vexing Devil, it, though. Yeah, it also has four Monastery Mentor and four Vexing Devil. <laughs> now, this is weird. Why? Yeah, I don't know what the Vexing Devil's doing in there. And Reforge the Soul. It does have one Reforge the Soul. It's it's essentially Burn Miracles. That old staple. Nope. No? 
No, I'm not in on this. Uh, there's. Why would I be in on this? This is awful. Oh, well, it's got thunderous wrath, and you thought that was a good idea, and so did this guy. I still think it's a good idea, but. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, great mind. And all no, that. no, no. I... <laughs> no, this is just. I mean, this is just a little too out there for me in terms of like being a burn deck. I mean, monastery mentor is a good card. Um, some of these choices are just kind of weird. Uh, I don't know, maybe. Monastery Mentor costs three, though. I just don't know if that's what you want to be doing in a burn deck. Not necessarily. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, d I don't like the deck, to be honest. Um, sure, sure. I'm, I'm no, not going to play it. There was a Protean Hulk combo, and that's just awesome. Uh, do you know how that works? Kind of. Uh, so you need something that can sacrifice itself. It's it's complicated. It's a very complicated um, glass cannon reanimator combo deck that I did not know existed in modern. It's pretty cool though. I like it a lot. There is also a dredgevine deck with legion loyalist and hooting mandrels, which I kind of like because legion loyalist. It's a cheap creature. You can cast it. Helps you rebuy your dredgevines, and it has haste and it swings in, and it likely gives your dredgevine. Uh, First Strike and Trample, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, there was the combination uh, Living End and Splinter Twin deck. <laughs> you know, that old. Ugh. LSV did play this deck on stream at one point. Yeah. It's okay. it's exactly what it sounds like. It's It, it runs two yeah. Pestermite um, and four Deceiver Exarch and <laughs> four Splinter Twin, and then it's just this, the, the Living End deck. Everything else. It it's it's a hot dog and a hamburger in a burrito show. Mm -hmm. Just pick one. Yeah. It... <laughs> well, the thing is that you get to draw into the combo because everything cycles. Great. I don't know. Great. Great. <laughs> All right. I can't I can't see why you would ever want to play that. But anyway. My favorite deck. Why are we? We were like, oh, you. <laughs> I just love how the how like different our reactions are to these decks or maybe just my reactions <laughs> i'm like oh i love all the innovation and then it's like, modern. It's like this is garbage stupid. this is all play the regular <laughs> decks play the normal decks why are you putting monastery mentor and burn you're so stupid why don't you just play burn like what happened to the spirit of states once you throw modern into the mix yeah i agree with you 100 percent about the whole pro tour thing like, no modern Pro Tours, because I don't want to have to think like this. Yep. I don't want to think like this. I want I want, I want, want modern to be the the vibrant and changing format that it, it was meant to be. This These tournament results are, are, are pining for that, and I'm just, like, hitting them in the <laughs> yeah. head with a shovel and, like, get back down there and play the normal decks. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I think I agree with uh, Patrick Chapin in that a modern pro tour is the worst possible thing for the format. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Unless you like watching, and I do, modern being played at the highest level possible. That's the conflict. Yeah, it is. It's tough. Because if you're a fan of modern, you want to see it played and played by just capable hands. Just do frequent modern grand prix and and do coverage on that. I think that's a great middle ground. <laughs> I think I think it is because let me tell you what will not be tearing up the next modern pro tour. What's that? My favorite deck of all the states jank. 
This isn't jank. You know, innovation, brew, whatever. Uh, I'm guilty of it, too. Uh, Steven Dotka playing Cheerios. I don't think this is Cheerios, but that's what it's called, Cheerios. It's uh, it's only running seven creatures, but that's okay. Three Monastery Mentor, four Pure Steel Paladin. And it's running a virtual eight copies of Pure Steel Paladin because it has four Muddle the Mixture, which is the blue-blue instant counter-target instant sorcery spell with Transmute. So you can go find a, tr- a two-drop. Right. And uh, Pure Steel Paladin... Um, Basically, he has whenever an equipment enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. And Metalcraft, equipment you control, have equip zero as long as you control three or more artifacts. Mm-hmm. So, the rest of the spells in the deck are four quarter shield. It's basically all zero mana equipment. Yep. That's all it is. Bone Sock, Height Shield, Paradise Mantle, Sigil of Distinction, which is an interesting one. Uh, a new card from Dragons of Tarkir, Spider Silk Net, or was that a reprint? That's not a That's new a reprint. Card. It's just it was reprinted in Dragons uh, Tarkir. Reprinted in many sets. <clears throat> Three Noxious Revival, like that, because what if they thought sees your pure steel paladin? Well, then you just you Noxious Revival it. A Noxious Revival is a pet card of mine. I used to have a Russian foil one. Uh, four Mox Opal. Four Retract, which I just love. It's a blue yeah. instant return all artifacts you control to their owner's hands. You can just cycle through your entire deck if you have a pure yeah. steel paladin out. Or just go... And also, if you if you have monster and mentor out, each one of these is triggering prowess and creating a creature. And don't forget the, the finisher. Grape shot. <laughs> one of. One of grape shot. That's a masterpiece. This is beautiful. <laughs> This is absolutely beautiful. Oswald approved. Mm-hmm. There's some weird cars in that man's sideboard, though. Batwing? <laughs> yeah, I was just like, what is that? I mean, I'm just talking about the art. What is, what is that? Oh, wow. Versus... Okay, you can really get them. <laughs> Versus Splinter Twin. Yep. <laughs> wow! Oh, no. Ooh, that's like too good <laughs> oh god yeah that's gonna be like it's not a troll because it's like you know that's your sideboard cards your sideboard strategy but that's gonna be one salty opponent like yeah. they, they show the combo they're like and you're just like proceed <laughs> yup how how many how many deceiver exarchs are you making okay are they going to attack we got, you may proceed to beginning of combat and then, yeah, then they just make them actually swing with, you know, 10,000 Deceiver Exarch tokens. And then you uh, Batwing Broom them. Man. But I mean, to be honest, they probably saw that coming a mile away, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Brooms out. I just like this deck a lot. I like the concept. Yep. I, lo- no, I love great. Muddle the Mixture, and this is a good enough implementation of it. I feel like I want to build this. <laughs> it's so absurd. Oh, I'm going to boot it up on Moto. No question. Uh, the only other thing I was looking at for the, the deck list was just how many Tarkus commands uh, Burns running. And it's looking like four. Four of. Four of main deck, which I think is right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I think I saw some of those lists that were running four. That's, it's awesome. There it is. Oh, there was... 
There is a shaman's deck. Shamans. Mm-hmm. Nice. And it was re- I was actually running two ire shamans. Why am I mispronouncing there. it now? <laughs> because of Sea Lab. Uh, two ire shamans. And one prophetic flame speaker, which is apparently a shaman. Was not aware of that. Wow. As is Eternal Witness. What is the kill in this thing? Oh, it's Rage Forager. Really? Yeah, so whenever Rage Forager comes into play, put a plus one plus one counter on each other shaman creature you control. Whenever a creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it attacks, you may have that creature deal one damage to target player. So this weekend is game day. Uh, you know, not the highest uh, REL event in the world, but our game day at Common Ground actually has a pretty cool stipulation where our Saturday game day is also an IQ and first prize is 250 bucks in addition to the the promo foils uh the top 8 promo foils are thunderbreak region i mean you really can't get much better than that in terms of uh a promo foil for a non mythic from this set i mean that's pretty awesome um and they look great it's totally uh totally pretty good incentive uh to play uh, i'm going to play green white devotion i'm not exactly sure on my list i've really felt like the changes to Green White Devotion have kind of made it worse, to be honest. Um, and if uh, this weekend's Pro Tour is any indication, uh, Control is not dead, and m- people may actually follow suit and play more Control this weekend. So um, the deck was great against Control, so maybe keeping things a little closer to uh, pre-Dragons might be the way to go. But the power of like den protector and um anok survivalist can't be denied in terms of those cards being strict upgrades to the deck um but we'll see about about the the list i'm gonna actually build i haven't settled on a list uh but i'm close um so uh you know that's definitely what i'm going to battle with and uh yeah hopefully i'll do well like i'd love to be qualified for an invitational i'd love a check check would be nice uh, but worst case scenario, showing up playing some standard and getting a sweet Thunderbreak Regent promo uh, will be nice. Uh, because I'm assuming I top 8. Isn't that nice? Also, I'm humble. Um, so anyway, uh, I'll have that to talk about. Um, Steven won't, because he will not be playing, and for very good reason. So anyway, until next time, we are Yo MTG Tap. Stop bitching, start doing your taxes. You're late if you're listening to this. Oh, right God. Now, yeah, it's going to come out after. You haven't done your taxes. You are late. Sorry. Sorry to be the one to tell you. You're late. You should have filed your taxes already. Yo MTG Taps is available every bloody Friday forever on legitmtg.com, iwantmymtg.com, mtgcast.com, and iTunes. Email us, yomtgtaps at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Tumblr, yomtgtaps.tumblr.com, follow us on Twitter, at yomtgtaps, follow me on Twitter, at omgwtfbhjftw, follow Steven on Twitter, at m00npi, follow Joey on Twitter, at Affinity for Blue. Featuring music by You'll Never Know and Logic Marsalis. Available at magneticmoments.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening.